everything. Once again, welcome to our Bible study. Today, we will talk about how to deal with anger. And before we continue, on us to pray with our Bible study. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you uh, tonight. We thank you for this time. Good Lord, as we're about to study your word, help us, Father, to know the Bible, to grow in our, in our knowledge and our understanding of the Bible. I pray that Lord will help each one of us to grow in you. I pray that, Father, that Holy Spirit may guide me and lead me and speak through me. You know people's situations. You know which one of us is. And I pray that God will help us, Lord, to become who you want us to be and to move to the level where you want us to be. Touch us, Lord. Guide us, Lord. Help us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Today we will talk about a very interesting subject. We'll talk about how to deal with anger. How to deal with anger. It's a very touchy subject, and I know a lot of people uh, struggle with this subject. And that's why, you know, when you go to church on Sunday, pastors will only talk about blessings and moving the next level and other stuff very few will talk about this most important subject, the anger subject. And I have written a book. Uh, the name of the book is Overcoming Offense, Anger and Bitterness. And what I'm going to talk about today is from that book. It's chapter 12 of that book. It's my latest book. We, we are living in the world where people get easily offended. When things don't go their way, they just get offended. That's the only response that they know. The only response that they know is anger. It's unfortunate that as I'm speaking right now, we have a lot of angry men. We have a lot of angry women. Right now as I'm speaking, I, I'm aware even in this Bible study tonight, we have a lot of angry teachers. We have a lot of angry politicians. We have a lot of angry leaders. We have a lot of angry, uh, you know, policemen. We have a lot of angry doctors. I'm ashamed to say also that we have a lot of angry pastors. Sometimes I, I listen to pastors and you see them preach or you see them up there on the pulpit. You can tell that this man is just bleeding. He's just bleeding. You will see him. There's one, one, I saw another video. It was circulating some few weeks ago. One preacher who was preaching and he broke the pulpit. You know, he jumped up and down and realized that this man has some anger issues. He's just angry, just spitting out anger. It has nothing to do with preaching the word of God. When people do not, you know, do what you want, you just get upset. Sometimes we, we get offended by things that should not offend us. And you look back later, maybe a week later, maybe a month later, maybe even a year later, maybe even 10 years later, you look back 
and you ask yourself, did I really get offended over that? Was it really worth it? Maybe after you have lost your husband, after you have lost your wife, after you have lost your family, after you have lost your job, after you have lost your money, after you have lost your business, after you have lost your studies, whatever you have lost, and you look back and say, it was because of anger, because of unfair. Was it really worth it? Was it really worth it? I got offended, I got angry just because she said that? Really? Let me say this to you. The reality of life is things may not always happen the way you want them to. I mean, all of you who are here, I don't know your ages, but I'm aware. All of you, you are old enough to know by now that people will not always do what you want them to do. That's the reality of life. People will not always behave the way you want them to behave. Even your own children. Even your own children, even your own, your own husband, your own wife. What more about strangers? Even your colleagues. They will not always behave the, one, the way you want them to behave. And they will not always see things or say things that you, you want to hear from them. And let me, let me flip and let's look at the other side also. As much as people offend us, as much as people offend you, you also offend other people. You are not Miss Clean, you are not Mr. Clean. You also offend other people. There are a lot of men, there are a lot of women that you have disappointed. There are a lot of people that you have offended. You, yes. It's okay to do some self-introspection, but as we blame other people, as we see other people as the problem, we also are problems to other people. Some people that you have offended, they have told you. And so we are not happy about one, two, three. Maybe you dismissed them. Or maybe you turn around and start to blame them. Oh, you guys, you are, you are, you are oversensitive. No, you offended them. You are wrong. Some people, maybe they came to you the first time and they tried to talk to you about it and you dismissed them or you denied it. The next time you offend them, they just keep quiet. They don't want to talk to you anymore. Some they decide to leave your WhatsApp group because of you. Some they decided to leave the church because of you. You offended them. You offended them. Some will tell you, some will not tell you. But what I want to tell you is offense and anger are not good for you. Those of you who were with us in our Bible study last week, we looked at a Canaanite woman who never got offended, who never got angry, she never gave up, and she never lost hope. She wanted her daughter to be healed, and she never lost focus of what she wanted. She, she was so laser-focused. She didn't care what Jesus was saying or he was doing. She didn't care about what the apostles were doing or saying. She just focused and said, my main focus is to have my daughter healed. I don't care who says what. If you go to my book, this story is found on chapter 11 of my book, Overcoming Offense, Anger, and Bitterness. Now, today, we look at chapter 12. We focus on the danger of living with offense, the danger of living with offense and anger. We're going to look at John, 
John the Baptist. We all know John the Baptist, the baptizer, if you will. And how he was offended by Jesus. And we look at how he ended. After, after leading such a powerful ministry. I mean, John was leading a very great ministry. I mean, offense, if we do not handle it well, it may not end well with us. We have to find a way to, 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 to handle offense and anger. John the Baptist, unfortunately, did not handle it well. John the Baptist dealt with offense the wrong way and was finally executed. I want us to look at the background story about John. John the Baptist and Jesus Christ, they were cousins. Their mothers were sisters. John was born before Jesus. John the Baptist was approximately about six months older than Jesus. John the Baptist also had a miracle birth, just like Jesus. Just slightly different, almost like, I would say like Isaac. His parents were an old couple named Zacharias and Elizabeth. Zacharias and Elizabeth. Both of them, you know, they descended from the priestly family of Aaron. So they were in the priesthood family. The Bible says Elizabeth had not been able to have children. So she was barren. And they were both well advanced in years. In other words, they were old. They were old. And one day when Zacharias was serving in the temple, he saw an angel. And Zacharias, you know, he was frightened by the appearance of the angel. He was even more surprised by what the angel told him. The angel told him that Elizabeth, his wife, will bear a child in her old age. And they will name him John. They will name him, name him John. And he will be set apart for a special purpose. John will be set apart for a special purpose. And, and Zacharias was, he was so shocked. And he doubted the angel. And when he doubted the angel, the angel said to him, because when he said, how, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man. And my wife as well is advanced in years. And because Zacharias had doubted the angel's words. You know, so Gabriel, he told him that here is a sign. You will not be able to speak. You will not be able to talk until the birth of your son. So the birth of Jesus came about six months later after John's birth. And God had performed a miracle and brought John into the world for a special purpose. Now, there are some few things that I want to share with you so you understand where we are and what we are talking about here. I want us to look at this map. This is a map of Israel. This is a map of Israel. Down here, down here we have the Judea area. In the middle we have Samaria. Right on top we have Galilee. Remember in John chapter 4, when Jesus was leaving the Jerusalem area, going to the Galilee area, he had to pass through Samaria. That's why John chapter 4, uh, you know, that's where he found the uh, the woman at the, wall in, at the well in Samaria. And the Bible says he had to go through Samaria because that was, that was on his way up there. What you see here on the top, we have the Sea of Galilee. Right at the bottom, we have the Dead Sea. The Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea, they are connected by the River Jordan. They are connected by the River Jordan. So, 
the river Jordan, it flows from north down to south. There is no water that goes through the Dead Sea. All the water that comes to the Dead Sea, they just accumulate here. Nothing lives here. Everything is dead. There's no plant that can live in the Dead Sea. There's no fish. There's no life in the Dead Sea. And the water, it's so salty. I think it's almost 10 times the salt of the Pacific Ocean or the salt of the Indian Ocean or the salt of the, you know, whatever ocean you can think of, Atlantic Ocean. It is salty. The water is so salty. Nothing can live uh, in the Dead Sea. Actually, the, the, the way it is so thick, you can even float on it. That's how thick the, uh, the, uh, the salty water is. Now, what we are going to focus on, it takes place here in Jericho, in this Jericho area here. Some of you have been with us in the Bible study for quite some time. So when we studied the book of Joshua and the book of Samuel, we, we looked at this area. This is the area where the, the children of Israel, when they came from Egypt, when they wanted to cross, this is the promised land on the left, this area here. They had to cross the River Jordan. This is where they crossed the River Jordan in this area here. Something that is very interesting about this area is the same place where John used to baptize in the New Testament. Actually, yeah, in the New Testament. That's where John was baptizing the people. So that's very interesting to, to note. So this is the area that we'll focus on. John was born somewhere here in this area next to the Jerusalem area. Jesus was born in Bethlehem here. He was born in Bethlehem, but he grew up in Nazareth here. It's a very small village or a small town here. Those of you who are coming with us to Israel next year, you'll get a chance to see all these places that I'm talking about. So the place that we are focusing on is this area here in Jericho. Now let's go and zoom in here. This is the Dead Sea is Jerusalem, and that's where the baptism of Christ took place. That's where John used to baptize the people. The same place where the children of Israel crossed over when they went to the promised land. That's where they crossed and the river Jordan had to, uh, to stop flowing and God allowed them to cross into the promised land. Amen? So I hope you find this very helpful. I got a chance to go there. My wife and I got a chance to go to the baptismal site on the River Jordan. Uh, that's where we were some other time ago. And we also got a chance to baptize some people and also to get baptized in the River Jordan. So it's a blessing uh, to know that these places are real and these places are there. So when you get a chance, uh, next year we are going there. So when you get a chance, come and join us when you go to Israel again. Let's go back to our story. Zacharias and Elizabeth, they lived in the hill country of Judah like I said, the Judea area. Now, uh, though John the Baptist, you know, grew up there, when he was an adult, he, he lived in the wilderness, you know, in, like, like in the area that I showed you in that area. And he began working in the region around the, the Jordan River. God has set John apart for a special mission. He was to preach about the repentance. And to baptize people in the water. He preached about the kingdom of God. And he prepared the people for the Messiah's coming. Now instead of saving. We have seen his father. He was saving in the temple. Instead of John following his father. And serve in the temple. No. John he dressed in a camel's hair. garment, And a leather belt. He ate locusts. Grasshoppers. 
and he also ate wild honey. That was his food. And he told the crowd, people who came to see this, uh, maybe they thought he's a madman. Everybody, the, the crowds, they came over to see this man in the wilderness and they surrounded him. And when they surrounded him, they started to shout and say, you have to repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. And he preached the same message that Jesus was preaching. And he said he was preparing the way for Jesus. John, John was very direct when he spoke. Actually, some of you have done the disc assessment. John was a high D. Very, very direct. And we'll see that as we continue. So John, he knew that he had been called by God to fulfill the prophecy of Isaiah. The voice of one crying in the wilderness in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. He said, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. So when the religious leaders of his time, they came to see him, John, he was so courageous. He rebuked them. He kept on telling them that they have to repent. When Jesus came and his time to start the ministry came, John appointed his disciples to Jesus and encouraged them to follow Jesus, not to follow him anymore. So after John had baptized Jesus, he was privileged to see the Holy Spirit descend. And the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus. Now this confirms to John that this was indeed the Son of God. And this is very important, especially for our Bible study tonight. This confirmed that this was the Messiah. And, 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 and the voice came from heaven. And the voice came from heaven. It said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. You know, that was the second time that we see the divine convergence. I call it the divine convergence. Where we have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit at the same time here on earth. The first time was during creation. But here we see God the Father speaking, was present when Jesus was baptized, God the Son. And God the Holy Spirit, the Bible says the Holy Spirit, he came down like a dove. So we have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, the divine convergence. So John, he saw all that. This was a very special moment for John the Baptist. John the Baptist had so much in common with Jesus. He was born before Jesus. He had a miracle birth. He preached the true gospel. He was so bold. He did so much good works for the people. And he was killed for speaking the truth. When people asked him if he was the Messiah, John kept on denying, saying that he only baptized him. He's only preparing the way for the real Messiah. The real Messiah is coming. The real Messiah is coming. Let's go to John chapter 1, verse 26. John chapter 1, verse 26. The Bible says, John answered them, I baptize with water. But among you stands one of one you do not know, 27. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. I like verse 28. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. Verse 29. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him, 
and he said, behold, the Lamb of God. This, this was very significant because everybody, they were sacrificing using the Lamb. So the Lamb was always representing the cleansing of sins. The Lamb was always representing sacrifices. And here John, when he said, behold, the Lamb of God, it had a deeper meaning than it would for you and me. He says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Verse 30. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me. Because he was before me. Now what you see here, it's John. John was so convinced, 100% convinced, without any shadow of doubt. He was so convinced that Jesus is the Messiah, Hamashiach. Is Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Jesus is Yeshua. That's his name. This was a common name, like John, like Joseph, like Mary. Those were common names. Those were common names. So Christ, you know, Messiah. Christ, the Messiah. It means the anointed one. Christ is the same as Messiah. So when he said Christ, when he said Messiah, it differentiated him. From the other people who were named Jesus. Actually, the first time, uh, maybe about 24, 25 years ago, I, I, I went to, uh, to Chicago. We had a conference over there. For the first time, I saw a man uh, with the name J-E-S-U-S. -S, and the man was from, I think was from Colombia. And he attended a conference, the same conference with me. It was a student conference, Christian conference. And I said, how can somebody be named Jesus? They said, no, it's not Jesus, it's Jesus. Oh, Jesus? Yeah, it's, it's a common name in the Latin community, Jesus. To me, I thought Jesus is the only one who should have the name Jesus. But I noticed that it's becoming common. It's a common name, Jesus. So when you said Jesus, it was just like any other name. But once you said Christ, then it means Messiah. It differentiated him from all the other people. He was born in Bethlehem, but he grew up in Nazareth, in the Galilee region. His full identity is Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth. When Jesus finally showed up, he requested John to baptize him. You know, initially John was reluctant, but finally he baptized him. So during that time, John was well known for having baptized Jesus in the River Jordan. I mean, if it was, if it was today's world, we have the social media, you know, it will be all over the news, you know, of all the people. John has baptized Jesus. I mean, it was big. It was like he, he baptized a celebrity. You will see it on social media. You will post some status on Facebook or WhatsApp or on, you know, Twitter everywhere. I baptized Jesus. Everybody knew. Remember, their parents were, uh, they were sisters. So here we see John and Jesus, they were cousins. They were cousins. I could imagine when they grew up, their, their mothers, they would keep on telling them about their miraculous born, birth, or how, how they were born, both of them. How John was born miraculously. How Jesus was born miraculously. And, and they will tell them the stories that, you know, one day when we were, when we were both pregnant, when we met, there was, there was some commotion, there was some movement in the stomach of your mom. Because you guys, you got connected even before you were born. 
So they were connected even before everybody knew them. They did ministry together. John witnessed great things. He witnessed what nobody else had witnessed. The Trinity of God. Nobody was more convinced that Jesus was the Son of God than John the Baptist. He was convinced that Jesus was the Messiah. He's the Messiah that Israel has been waiting for for all these years. Now in Luke chapter 7 verse 28, we see Jesus also confirmed the same thing. Jesus said, I tell you, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John. Yet even the least person in the kingdom of God is greater than he is. Jesus here is confirming that John is one of the greatest prophets. Jesus confirmed that John was used by God. John was truly sent by God to prepare a way for Jesus. During that time, the king of the land or the king of the area was Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas, he divorced his wife and he married the wife of his brother, Herod Philip I, while he was still alive. And John the Baptist, the, John the Baptist, he condemned that. He said that is sinful. You can't do that. You can't do that. And, and later, John was imprisoned for, for speaking the truth. When John said that what the king has done is sinful, John was imprisoned for speaking the truth to the king. John the Baptist, the great preacher, of repentance, the baptizer is now in prison. Wasn't the dark cell when he started to meditate and think? I could imagine what was going on in his mind. He has served God for all these years. He spoke the truth to everyone. He baptized thousands. He spoke the truth even to the kings. Now he is in prison. While John was in prison, Jesus did not visit him. And that is the key. Jesus did not visit him. He just heard, I mean, John, he just heard that Jesus is, you know, he's around, he's continuing with ministry outside as if nothing has happened, as if everything is normal. Jesus never bothered to come to see John in, in prison or even help him get released. John continues to perform, I mean, to be, to be in, 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 in prison while Jesus was busy performing miracles outside, was busy healing people outside. And that did not go well with John. John felt like he was neglected. He was forgotten by Jesus, his cousin, the Messiah. Now he started to have second thoughts about Jesus as the Messiah. John was in prison and so far, what he expected did not happen. Remember what I said earlier? When we have some expectations and our expectations are not met, what do we do? We get disappointed, we get offended, we get angry. John started to change his mind and he started to doubt if Jesus is the real Messiah. I mean, after we have seen all that you have seen, after you have been told all you have been told about Jesus, now he started to doubt if that same Jesus is the Messiah. I want us to look at Matthew chapter 11, verse 2. Matthew chapter 11, verse 2. Now, when John, while in prison, heard of the works of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the expected one, 
or shall we look for someone else? Hmm? Are you the real Messiah? This is so amazing. I mean, this man, he has been so much convinced telling people that this is the Messiah, but today he's always doubting. John thought that Jesus did not care about him. I could imagine. Just imagine him saying, oh, you do not care about me. You don't even bother visiting me in prison. You continue with, me, with your ministry instead of coming to, to release me, instead of coming to see me. I did you a great favor, cousin. I baptized you. And I expect you to do the same, the same favor. I expect the same favor from you. If you are the real Messiah, who came to set the captives free? If you are the real Messiah, you would have come and released me from prison. Or maybe just visit me just to come and see how I'm doing. Now it's only my disciples who come and see me. When one of his disciples visited in jail, he asked him to go and ask Jesus to confirm something. I wanted to go and confirm with him. Are you the one who is, who is to come? Are you the Messiah? Or you should expect another one. He believed that the response to that question will settle his doubts once and for all. He wanted to know if he should continue to trust in him or not. He should tell him if, if, if he's really the Messiah. The one who was, who was supposed to come and set the captives free. Was supposed to come and set Israel free. He asked him if, if he's the real one, if he's from God, or maybe God is still going to send someone else. John was truly offended at this point. All that was left now was, was to wait to get the response from him. In all his life, he cried and he advised people to prepare themselves for the Messiah. And here come the Messiah. He tells everybody that he's the Messiah. Now he's disappointed with the very same Messiah. Very same Messiah. I remember at some point he even shouted, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He spoke that with confidence. Now he's disappointed. Now he's disappointed. I just imagine after he has sent out his disciples, sitting alone in prison cell, he's waiting, waiting, waiting for the response. Because now John is concerned. He's disappointed and offended that his expectations were not met. Remember, we all get offended when our expectations are not met. So there is John a few days later while he was in prison, still wondering and, wonder and being, being worried whether Jesus is really the Messiah or not. All of a sudden, one day, he hears a knock at the entrance and someone came to deliver the long-awaited response. The heartfelt question. I imagine his disciple telling him he has a response from Jesus. Jesus told me to tell you, oh John, that the blind, they are receiving their sight, the lame are walking, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf, they can hear, the dead are being raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. And blessed, that's the last part he said, and blessed is anyone who takes no offense at him. That was the response that Jesus instructed or you know, he sent through the disciple of John. Go back and tell John. John already knew what Jesus was doing. That's precisely what provoked him. 
that made him to doubt him. They knew that outside Jesus is continuing with the ministry. The people Jesus seemed to be concerned about, preoccupied with, are the lame, are the deaf, are the poor, are the ill, and even the dead. Now, these folks aren't exactly the, the movers and the shakers of the world. No. These are people who have been shaken, who have been moved by the calamities of life, the hardships of life. And those are the people that Jesus was focusing on. Jesus says to John, who was offended because of him, he's saying to John, even though you are in prison, people are still getting help outside. Your pain could be your focus right now. But others are still receiving their help. They are receiving their help. They are receiving their healing. You are not the point of focus right now, John. It is not about you and your painful situation. And John was offended because Jesus did not do what John expected him to do. People get offended when they do not receive what they expect from other people. They feel neglected when they do not get the attention or, or the response that they wanted. Now, the last part of the response that Jesus sent was exactly what Jesus wanted him to, uh, to know. He wanted to address this with John. He says, and blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. What Jesus was saying is, John, you're offended. John, you're offended. If John, the greatest Baptist, was offended at Jesus, what does that say about you and me? We too can be offended with God if he does not do what we expect him to do. If, if, if he does not answer our prayers as we expect him to do. If we ask for something, we pray, we fast, but still we don't get the response that we want. Our loved one doesn't get healed. We do not get healed from that headache. We don't get the job that we want. We fail the interview, but we have prayed. We can also get offended. Something very interesting is after this incident, John did not come out of jail. Unfortunately, he was later executed. You know, Matthew, he wrote about John's execution in chapter 14, Matthew chapter 14, from verse 1 to 11. Remember Herod that I talked about earlier? Herod who took his brother's wife? On his birthday, the daughter of his new wife, the name of the new wife was Herodian, the one that he took from his brothers, uh, his brother. The name of the daughter or the stepdaughter was Salom. And Salom danced so wonderfully at that party for his stepfather. And also the other guests were there uh, during the, the party. And Herod, Antipas, he was so impressed and pleased and he got so excited. And he said to that young girl, you can ask for anything that you want. I will give it to you. Oh, out of revenge. Out of revenge for criticizing her marriage. The mom, she, you know, when the girl went to ask mom, he said, mom, he says he'll give me anything that I want. What can I ask from him? The mom was so angry and she wanted to revenge. And she said, what I want to do is go and tell him. Go and tell him that we want to see John the Baptist head on the blood. In other words, go and kill John the Baptist and bring his head here so we can make sure that he's dead. You know, although Herod was so hesitant because he was so shocked, he never expected that kind of a request. He had to reluctantly agree and execute John in prison. 
John the Baptist was offended and was later executed. Before we pray, there are some few things that I want to say. You need to be very careful with your anger issues. There is no positive outcome that will come out of your anger and your offense. It is dangerous to continue with your offense. We have seen what happened with John the Baptist, the greatest man, the greatest preacher who got offended and he died. And I want to say this to you, you have to allow God to heal you from your anger issues. Open your heart and ask God to heal you. If you do not handle anger and offense very well, it will not end well with you. Nothing good will come out of that offense. Some of you are still bitter and angry because someone did something that you never expected them to do. Maybe nobody can see what is on your heart right now. We cannot see what's going on in your heart, but God knows and you know what's going on in your heart. You know that you are living with, with this burning anger in your chest. Your heart inside. Outside you look so cool and smiling and nice. When we ask you how are you doing, you say I'm blessed and highly favored. But you know that deep down you are burning with anger issues and offense. Some women are bitter and angry with their husbands right now. Some husbands are angry and bitter with their wives right now. Some of you are still angry with your former pastor. Some of you are still angry with your former boss or your manager. Some of you are still angry with your teachers. Way back when you were still in primary school, elementary school. Some of you are still angry with your professors. Some of you are still angry with your school principal. Some of you are still angry with your siblings. Some of you are, you are angry with your family members. Some of you even exited from their, from their WhatsApp group. You exited because you are angry, you are offended. They said something that you do not want. They, they did something that you do not like. Some of you, you, you are angry with your colleagues. Some of you are angry with your church members. Having anger and unforgiveness issues is not something to be proud of. You can't even stand up and say, I'm so proud because I'm the most angry person in my family. Oh, they all, they all, all of them, they know me. I get angry so quickly. I'm so, I'm so short-tempered. It's not something to be proud of. It's something to be ashamed of. You don't have to be proud that you have anger. You need to accept that you're not okay. You're not okay. You have pretended to people and faked the smile. It's enough. It's time for you to get healed. It is time for you to get your freedom from anger and bitterness. No, you can lie to me. You can lie to everybody and ask. If we ask you how you're doing, I say, I'm okay. But you know you're not okay. You're not okay. You know that deep down, you're holding anger. Deep down, you're holding bitterness and grudges. Some of you, you are still angry at your parents. You feel like you are not fairly treated. You feel like you're not their favorite. Yes, that was wrong. I'm not saying it was right. Whatever people have done to you, I'm not saying it's right. It's wrong. I agree with you. But how does remaining angry help you heal? How does that help you in the quality of your life? Maybe you feel like, you know, they took, they, they, they took a, a wrong decision. Maybe they took you to a wrong school. Maybe, maybe they even abused you when you were still young. And from that time, you made a vow to yourself that I will never forgive them. 
I've heard some people even say, over my dead body, I'll never, I'll never forgive. But by, by the way, I always say this, anger, anger is the only content that corrodes, that eats up its container. Anger will finish you. Anger will kill you. When you harbor anger, when you harbor bitterness, you are the one who is in pain. It's not your neighbor. We always say anger, it's like it's bitterness and anger and unforgiveness. It's like drinking poison and you expect your neighbor to die because you are the one who's drinking that poison. And you even justify, it's okay, yes, I'm not saying what they did is right. It is wrong. It's even evil. But, but harboring anger, it's not going to help you. Let me say this. Do you know that all the divorces are as a result of unforgiveness? It reminds me of this man who was so angry with his wife. He discovered that one of his children in the house was not his own child. And they went to the pastor and they asked for counseling, for advice, and for help. The pastor prayed with them. And they, they met several times. And the wife kept on asking for forgiveness. And the man said, I will never forgive her. He said, I could not forgive her. And I can't continue to live with her anymore. He said, I don't love her anymore. And the pastor told him to love her as, as his wife. You know, the Bible says, love your wife. Husband, love your wife in the book of Ephesians. And the man said, no, no, I can't love her anymore. I can't. And the pastor said, okay, let's move to the next level. Love her as your roommate. Because you're in the same house. And the man said, no, I can't, even at that level. And the pastor said, okay, love her as your neighbor, as Jesus commanded, that we should love our neighbors as ourselves. And the man said, no, I can't love her anymore. Actually, she's my enemy. I can't love her as my lover. I can't love her as my neighbor. I can't love her as my roommate. I can't even love her as my wife or my neighbor. No, I can't do that. And the pastor finally said, if you can't love her as your wife, you can't love her as your neighbor, you can't love her as your roommate, you can't love her as your enemy. The love her as your enemy. Because Jesus said, we should pray, pray for our enemies and love our enemies. And what, what the message that the pastor was trying to say is, there's no room for unforgiveness. There's no room for hate. There's no room for bitterness. Always find a way to forgive. Jesus has addressed it so many times that there's no level where you can say, I can't take it anymore. You have to keep on forgiving. Actually, Peter, the other time he tried to be nice, he said, can, can you forgive seven times? He said, no, no, seven times 70 per day. In other words, forgive. Just keep on forgiving. If you want to have a healthy relationship, you must learn to forgive. There is no healthy relationship without forgiveness. You can't build a strong family without forgiveness. If John the Baptist did not resolve his anger issues and ended up there, who are you that you think you can handle it? You can handle your offense. Some people, instead of finding help, they continue to defend themselves. As long as you continue to hold grudges and offense, it will not end well with you. 
There is no blessing in offense. There is no blessing in anger. There is no blessing in bitterness. The way out of misery is forgiveness. You need to make a decision tonight to let go. Yes, I said to let go. Release them from your heart. Some of you are saying, people owe me an apology. I cannot forgive them because they owe me an apology. And you continue to live in misery because somebody did not come to apologize. The truth is, not everyone who has hurt you, who has offended you, will come and apologize. That is the truth. When you forgive, you are not doing them a favor, but you are doing yourself a favor. Look at John. He did not want to forgive Jesus. He remained offended until he died. Forgiveness does not mean you justify what they did to you. Yes, that was wrong. What they did was not right, and it was evil. I agree with you. When you forgive, you make a decision that they do not have to pay back what they owe you. That is all that forgiveness means. I'm not saying that what they did is right. I'm not justifying what they did. They did wrong. But I've made a decision that they do not even have to come and apologize to me. Remember, you are, you are the recipient of, of forgiveness. You also, because you are a Christian, all Christians are forgiven sinners. That's all. Christians are not better than other people. You are not holier than other people. You are just a forgiven sinner. Jesus forgave you even before you ask for forgiveness. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. Forgiveness takes one person, it takes you. You are the only one who can forgive. Reconciliation takes two people, two willing people who want to amend, to mend their relationship. If the other person is not willing to, to mend the relationship, you don't have to reconcile. You do not have to reconcile with your abuser. You can forgive them and still not reconcile with them. It's okay. You don't have to reconcile with him. You don't have to reconcile with her, but you can forgive. You are commanded to forgive. And you should not feel guilty for not reconciling with him. You should not feel guilty for not reconciling with her. If they are not willing to change their behavior or change the way they live and they keep on defending their behavior, you don't have to reconcile with them. Like I said, just get a book. We don't have enough time to, uh, to talk much about it, but just get a book. Overcoming Offense, Anger, and Bitterness. available on Amazon. And in South Africa, like I said, it will be available in the next week or so. I'm going to pray. But before I pray, please set your heart. Set your heart as I'm speaking right now. Offense will kill you. That bitterness, that anger, it's going to kill you. Who has offended you? Why, why do you want to hold on to that grudge? Yes, they offended you. And let me say this, they offended you and you are angry and you are bitter. But two mistakes do not make it right. Their behavior is wrong. Your behavior also, your response is also wrong. I pray that you forgive everyone who has offended you tonight. Forgive that woman. Forgive that man, forgive that boy, forgive that girl, forgive that church member. Pastors, please forgive your church members who have offended you. Some they even spoke bad about you after you have helped them. Maybe you even had pay rent for them. You had their children go to school. Now they speak bad about you. Forgive your friends. Just say, say to yourself, I forgive them and you name them. 
Say that in your heart. Say that even loudly and say, I forgive so-and-so. I forgive Abraham. I forgive so-and-so. I forgive Maria. I forgive so-and-so. I forgive Robert. Mention them by name and forgive them. Forgiveness, it means, forgiveness, it means they don't have to pay me back. They don't owe me an apology. I have made that decision. That is the only way you'll be free. When you release people who have offended you, you start to experience the real joy of the Lord. When you forgive people, you start to experience the peace of God. You start to experience the true blessings of God. When you release them, when you forgive them, you are doing yourself a favor. You are setting the prisoner free. And later I find that you are that prison. You do not want to die like John the Baptist, the greatest preacher who ever lived, but died with unforgiveness. He died with grudges. He died with bitterness. You will discover that you are the prisoner of your own unforgiveness. When you do not forgive, you become your own prisoner of unforgiveness. As long as you keep holding grudges, you are not free, my brother. You are not free, my sister. Even when you celebrate Freedom Day on July 4th or April 27th, yes, you celebrate, you celebrate freedom, but you're not free. It is my prayer today that you will not hold on to grudges like John the Baptist. May God set you free from the spirit of anger and from the spirit of offense and from the spirit of unforgiveness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you tonight. We thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for speaking into our hearts. We thank you that, God, you, you're so direct. Help us, Lord, not to be like John the Baptist, who started to doubt Jesus because he was offended. Help us, Father, to live free from anger, resentment, and bitterness, so that we can be free and serve you freely. I pray for every man and every woman who is here. Those that are listening and those that will listen via the, the podcast and radio and TV and other places, Facebook Live and other outlets. I pray that God will heal them, Lord. Heal their hearts. Set them free from unforgiveness. Let them sing and say, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free. To be the servant of the Lord. And truly being free. Then God will start to use them when they are free. And they'll be able to have an impact in the nations and in other people's lives. We thank you and we bless you. Give you all the glory and all the honor. In the name of Jesus, Lord, we thank you and we bless you. Amen. Amen.